Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David, and I serve here at Trinity as lead pastor, and the countdown is on. We are two weeks away from being able to gather again. We're really excited about that. Please just stay tuned, and you'll get all the information that you need. Our safety plan should be available this afternoon on our church website just to help you and your family know how to prepare and what it will be like when we come back. We're really, really excited about it. If, if I don't know you, if you don't know me, uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, my, my wife, Erin, and I, we have three girls, Lilia, Caroline, and Madeline. And I remember when we were expecting Lilia, there was all this excitement about what will she look like? You know, uh, um, the husband and the wife, the mom and the dad kind of trying to imagine what it will look like when we are, uh, have a child that kind of shares our, our looks together. And I know there was a lot of prayer going on that she would look more like Aaron than me. And praise be to God, that is the case. But, you know, my, my sister, uh, she had had some children by that point, And so I kind of thought maybe my kids, our kids, would look like my sister's children. My sister and I are both half Korean, of course, and, and uh, I just was thinking her, her children look um, Asian, and I thought my children would look Asian as well. And then Lilia was born, and she had blonde hair, blue eyes, and we were just like, whoa, like, we did not expect that look at all, that combination. Even though my dad and Aaron's dad both have blue eyes, we just didn't think that would happen. And uh, we just would laugh, this blonde hair, blue-eyed little quarter Korean girl running around. And then our second daughter, Caroline, was born, and Caroline has brown hair and brown eyes, and they look, they look similar but very different to each other. But we kind of joke that Caroline is my mini-me. Uh, she looks like my wife, too, but she has the dark hair and the dark eyes, and there's a Korean word, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, Mom, so sorry if I don't say it right, but there's a Korean word called dokada, which basically means two things look the same or two people look the same. And so Caroline and I always joke with each other that we're Dokada, that we look the same, that she's my mini-me, and that maybe more so than my other daughters, she kind of bears my image, she reflects me. In, in week two, uh, today, we're in week two of our series on union with Christ, and, and we started off last week by talking about that all the blessings that a Christian experiences and enjoys, all the blessings that a believer receives from God, are, they all flow out of the blessing of being united with Christ, that Christ would unite himself to us and that we could be united to him. And in this four-week series, we're talking about four of those blessings. And last week, we talked about the blessing of a new identity. But this morning, I want to talk not about the gift of something that's new, but something that's renewed, a renewed image, that the image of God is being restored in each of us. And just like our children, in a sense, bear our image, we bear God's image. Our approach this morning is going to be a little different than normal. Most weeks, I'll take one main passage, and we'll really look closely at it, and that's my preferred way of preaching, actually. But this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to look throughout the scriptures at some different passages to help us better understand and appreciate the meta-narrative or the, the big story about image and what it means to bear God's image. We're going to look at the Bible, and uh, our time together is going to be broken down under four main ideas. We're going to look at the idea of the created image bearers, then the broken image bearers, then we're going to look at the perfect image bearer, and then we're going to finish by talking about the restored image bearers. And so this morning, let's start with the idea of the created image bearers. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, in the creation account, it says that God said, let us make man or human, let us make human in our image after our likeness. 
And from this verse, we learn that humankind, we are the created image bearers. And humankind occupies a unique place in the creation account. You know, there are many other ancient Near Eastern creation myths that say this is how the world came into being. And if you study those myths, and I, I won't go into depth today, but if you study them, very often humans are sort of an afterthought or they're birthed out of a moment of extreme violence between two gods. But they never bear the image of their gods. They're, they're never loved and valued in that sort of way. In many ways, they're created to serve uh, the selfish whims and purposes of these very violent, um, self-absorbed gods. And then you come to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, and you see the order with which God creates things, and the loving attention in detail, the ways in which he is faithfully and beautifully at work in creation for the good of creation. And then the crowning act of creation is the creation of humankind, and God says, unlike everything else in creation, let us create man in our image, after our likeness. What does that word image mean? In the world back then, the ancient Near Eastern world, kings were considered divine. And they would make statutes of themselves, and they would uh, position these statutes all throughout their kingdom. Wherever they reigned, they would have their statues there as a reminder of who the king is. Because this, is, of course, was way before social media and, and the internet. And so the only way that people would know who the king was or have any sense of the king's likeness is by walking by one of those statutes and saying, who is that? And then somebody would say, that's an image of the king. And then they would have a sense of what the king is like. And in his book, Liberating Image, Richard Middleton, who was one of my professors in graduate school, he suggests that that's what, how we need to understand what it means to be an image bearer, that we are really been created in God's image and placed in creation so that we might bear his image well so that other people might have a sense of who he is by the way that we bear his image and that we're his royal priests and that we extend his reign and rule and that we do good work. This is what it means to be created as an image bearer. In the book, Union with Christ, which I mentioned last week by Rankin Wilborn, this, this book that's been really helpful in shaping this sermon series, he says that Adam and Eve were created to live in perfect communion with God as royalty under God and with access to God. We are created image bearers. And if that's our start, if that's our origin, if that's our beginning, it speaks really profoundly really powerfully into who we are even today. And I think it's a timely reminder in our world today when you consider everything that's going on and everything that's been going on, you've never seen a person who doesn't bear the image of God. To bear the image of God means that every individual, regardless of ethnicity, race, nationality, socioeconomic standing, political uh, affiliations, every single person has inherent dignity, value, and worth. That's what the Bible teaches us here. And when we treat people like that's not true, it's a sin against God and it's a sin against others. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And if the Bible's vision of our origin is true, which I believe it is, then that's why we can know that there are no ordinary people. Everyone bears the image of God and has that inherent dignity, value, and worth. We were created to bear God's image. But something goes terribly wrong, which brings us to our second point this morning, the broken image bearers. Genesis 1 and 2 
It's just this beautiful paradise where God is walking with Adam and Eve and there's this unbroken relationship and Adam and Eve are bearing God's image and they're doing work in the garden and they're extending his reign and his rule in beautiful ways. And then we don't even get three chapters into the Bible and all goes wrong. And in this, what is called the fall, Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God, believe that they know best, they don't trust God, they trust themselves, and they sin against God. And as soon as they sin against God, in Genesis chapter 3, it says the first thing is that they notice that they were naked. Previously, they were naked and unashamed. Their image was not bringing them any shame, uh, was not bringing them any pain. But as soon as they sinned, they became aware of their nakedness. They became ashamed of their nakedness. And the first thing they tried to do was cover themselves. They took fig leaves off of trees to make underwear and try to cover themselves or clothes or whatever they were trying to cover. They, they were trying to cover themselves because when they sinned, they realized the image has been broken, has been marred. Now, the fall changes things. It changes the way we relate to God. It changes the way we relate to creation. It changes the way we relate to each other. It, changes the way we relate to ourselves. All of those relationships are now broken because of sin. But specifically, when we think about how it changes the way we view ourselves, we now carry around, just like Adam and Eve, this sense of shame, inadequacy. I'm not good enough. I've not done enough. It drives us to prove ourselves in every area of life. It drives us to protect ourselves when we feel threatened. So we look at ourselves with this sense of insufficiency, I'm not enough, inadequacy, I'm not good enough, insecurity, what do other people think of me? But it also changes the way we look at other people. Because if we look at ourselves as being inadequate or insufficient or in, and we feel insecure, then we begin to look at other people, and I'm speaking in generalities here, but we look at other people as one of two things, either a solution to help us not feel that way or a threat that will make us feel that way more if we don't avoid them or destroy them. That's dramatic language, but avoid them, overcome them, um, stand against them, right? Now, if, if, that's, if you think of that, the biblical explanation for how we now view ourselves as broken image bearers and how we view others, it makes a lot of sense of our world. Our own sense of, I'm not good enough, I'm not enough, and so i got to prove it now. But also looking at people and saying, hey, you, you're a solution. I'm going to pull you into my life. And even in the most loving relationships, there can be this sense of I'm using you to fix something in me. Or you're a threat to me, and so I have to attack you or avoid you. But either way, we can't stop thinking about ourselves. And this is what sin does in our lives. This is what sin is. It breaks the image that God gave us to bear, his very image. In 2013, George Saunders, an American writer, uh, gave a commencement address right here at Syracuse University. And in it, he talked about, he asked the question, what's our problem? It's a pretty big question. And then he suggests three things. He said, here's what I think. He says, each of us is built with a series of built-in confusions and, and, and things that we inherit, we, we sort of intuitively believe. And he, he, these three things, I won't read to you exactly what he says, but he says, number one, we believe that we're central in the universe, that our story matters most, that we're most important, and everything else is peripheral, but we are the center of the world. Number two, he said, we believe that we're separate from everything else. Yes, we know that there's a connection, but really that stuff is out there, and then there's me right here. But then also that we're permanent, that death is real and okay, yeah, sure, death is real, but it's okay and real for you, not for me. And then he goes on to clarify. He says, we don't really believe those things intellectually. We know better, but we live by them. And they cause us to prioritize our own needs over the needs of others, even though what we really want 
in our own hearts is to be less selfish, more aware of what's actually happening in the present moment, and more open and more loving. I think he put his finger on something here and, and helps us realize this is a major issue in our lives. We, we, we know better than to believe those things are true, but we still live and function like they are. And so how do we act in our brokenness with our broken images? We do three things. We obsess about our own image, which leads to insecurity and pride. We're always thinking about how we look physically or how we look in every situation, how we appear in every conversation, how we come across to other people. We attack other people's image because we're maybe insecure or maybe we're jealous and it leads to hate and pain or maybe it's fear that leads to the sin of things like racism and bigotry. But also we make other images now that we worship and that we adore, and the Bible calls that idolatry. So this whole thing of being a broken image bearer, it's spiraling the human, humankind out of control. And uh, in a book called Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter, she says that the Bible is the grand story of God restoring our communion with him. And I, I would also say it's God restoring our image, the image of him in each one of us, that he is restoring what was lost in Eden. Well, how does he do that? brings us to our third point, the perfect image bearer. God's solution, really two things. First, he gave us his law. In the Old Testament, there's lots of rules and lots of laws, and we're like, what do we do with that? Well, he gave us the law, not because he was angry, not because he was a different God back then than he is now, but he gave us his law to show us how far we have drifted from bearing God's image well. The law shows us what the image of God might look like, loving others, not envying, not lying, not killing, not coveting. That's what it looks like to bear God's image. He gives us this law, not so that we can keep it to save ourselves, but so that we can be fully uh, convinced that we're not able to bear God's image in our own strength, on our own. Sometimes we need to see the law to know how far we are from it. You know, sometimes I have people over the house and and uh, I might make a steak for them. And, and I have a very specific way I like to make steak. I like to reverse sear steak. And I think it's the best way to do it. And I've, 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 I've just developed this, this, um, this strategy to make steak taste, I think, as good as it can, or at least as good as I can make it taste. And sometimes I have people taste it, and they're like, oh, my goodness, this steak is amazing. And then they begin to think about all the other steaks that they've had in life. And they have this comparison point. The law gives us this comparison point of like, you're not up to here and you're not going to get up to here. So God gave us that. But then also, thankfully, he didn't just give us that. This would be a bad place to stop the sermon. He gave us his son to show us, here's what the image of God actually looks like. And Jesus came to be the perfect image bearer as our substitute in our place. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, he is the perfect image of the Father. He came to us as the image bearer. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, speaking of Jesus' work on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, Hebrews chapter 1. See, Jesus came to us, he was sent to us as the perfect image bearer to do three, one, three things. Number one, to reveal the Father to us. Number two, to remind us that there's a better way to be human. And number three, to restore uh, the image of God within each one of us. So he came to reveal the image of the Father, to reveal the Father to us by bearing his image. He came to remind us there's a better way to be human, and he came to restore the image of God in us. And he did this with his life and with his death. 
The perfect image of God seen in Jesus Christ was marred by our sin and our shame on the cross so that the broken image within each one of us could be made whole. And this is the gospel. This is what he's done for us. So we have the created image bearer, the broken image bearers, the perfect image bearer, Jesus, and then lastly, the restored image bearers. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He's describing what it looks like to be a broken image bearer, lying and hurting each other. But, verse 10, and you've put on the new self, this new sense of who you are, which we talked about last week, is identity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, being united to Christ means that we have a new identity, but also that we have a new image, that we are being renewed and restored daily into the image of Jesus Christ. And here's how it happens. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Look carefully at this verse. Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit here's what Paul is teaching us as you behold Jesus as you look at Jesus as you look to Jesus you become like Jesus who you behold determines who you become there is a 19th century Scottish pastor named Robert McShane and he said for every look at yourself take 10 looks at Christ look to Jesus who he is. Look to him to see the Father. Look to him to see what it means to be truly human and look to him as your, not just your example, but as your substitute, as the one who did it in your place. You know, when you're doing something for the first time, you got to look to someone else to know what to do, right? Uh, this, a couple weeks ago, I, I went to my friend's gym. He's got his own gym and it's not open yet, but him and I went there alone and and uh, he walked me through this workout, and I did these things called burpees. And I know a lot of you probably know what burpees are. You've done burpees. It's basically like a push-up on steroids. You, you fall to the ground, and you do a push-up, and you pop up in the air, and you jump up in the air, and you do it over and over. And I hated every second of it. But I didn't know what I was doing. And so when I first started to do these burpees with my friend, I was watching him. I was looking at him to see, how do I do this? How do I do this? And we looked to Christ to see, what does it look like to be human? What does it look like to be truly human, fully human, and to bear God's image well? How did Jesus treat people who were different than him? How did Jesus treat the known sinners of the world in that time? How did Jesus treat women? How did Jesus treat children? How did Jesus respond to government, to the authority in his life? What is the very ethic in the heart of Jesus? And as we look at him, we can see those things. But also, as we look to Jesus, we see him, like I said, not just as our example, but as our substitute and as our hope. See, because you can be united with Christ, this is what it means about your present and your future, that the very image of God is being restored in you. And someday, listen, the image of God will be fully restored in you. And you will again bear his image perfectly on that day when Christ returns and we're in God's presence. See, the, the truth of this message, it has the power to do two things. It changes how we see ourselves. It establishes our value, our worth, and our dignity apart from anything else about ourselves other than God created us and that he loves us and that Jesus did a work to rescue us and save us. But it also changes the way that we see others, no longer just as solutions to our own problems or obstacles or threats, we can see people as having the inherent value, dignity, and worth 
as people that we can love and accept because they bear the image of God in broken ways, but through Jesus it can be restored. And here's the result of all of this. Let me read to you this passage from 1 John 3. The apostle John writes these words. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, restored as an image bearer, because we shall see him as he is. When we fully see Christ, we will become fully like him. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself or herself as he or she is pure. Just let the truth of that passage just fill up and strengthen your heart that someday all the brokenness of our image, which is currently being restored by Jesus, will be fully restored. He didn't just save us. He's not just sanctifying us, but we will be glorified in Christ, united with Christ, perfectly bearing the image of God within each one of us again. That's the promise and the hope that we have.